greatest symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. against my guest at this time and on the line the intercontinental championship of the world for you jesse the body ventura welcome back to the bay area well you know what this is going to be truly indeed a sad day for old chico from tijuana right, well he's from tecula mexico well where yeah that's a suburb of tijuana who cares you know you ever been down there you ever faced chico's revenge when he'd sell you one of them tacos wow 24 hours later you pay for it mean along Jean. with a little mexican tap water yeah. yes i get let, let me say this to you, Chico. It's going to be a double loss to you. Number one, after I whip you for your intercontinental title, you're facing a lawsuit from me, my man, for coming out on national television and lying, lying to all the people in the Bay Area, telling them Jesse the Body Ventura hit you with brass knuckles, Chico Santana, the last time in that tag match when me and the Macho Man slapped you and that Pedro Morales from here all the way to San Jose. We even, when they were done, they even asked us. They, they didn't know the way to San Jose. Yeah, I got that the first yeah, time, Jesse. because we knocked them out. Chico, all you got was a fist sandwich. And what you gonna say this time? What will the excuse be this time, Chico, when Jesse the Body lays the big fist right in the chops and you're down for the 10 count? You not only lose the Intercontinental title, but you lose all that money when I take you to court, Chico, for lying, for slander, for doing what you did to me, saying I hit you with a foreign object. How atrocious. All right, I thank you, Jesse Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the Hogan Era Podcast. I am your host, JP John Paz, and of course, as part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire on the TMPT feed. Each and every week on the Hogan Era Podcast, we're talking about the greatest era in the history of professional wrestling, the golden era, if you will, 1984 to 1993 at WWF, all about the immortal Hulk. Hogan, the god of wrestling, the Babe Ruth of wrestling, the man who set it all in place for what you have today, Hulk Hogan. And we're talking about a lot of the legendary feuds that he had along the way. And this week is no different. We'll be talking about almost, it's funny because we've been talking about like the feud that never was or the feud that could be. And there was a bunch of them that, yes, they made a lot of money and yes, they did have some matches and they sold out a bunch of shows, but it's one of those things where you think about what could have been, could have been more. And this is another one that I think fits in that category because it's Jesse, the body Ventura. 
kind of fits in a little bit with the monster, a little bit with the shit talker, a little bit with the muscle guy. I mean, he's kind of a mix of, of all of all the guys in between. Much more of a brawler, not much of a quote-unquote work-rate guy, that's for sure. Definitely a body guy. And if you think about him and you think about the Hulkster, you got to think about superstar Billy Graham. They both love superstar Billy Graham, both kind of disciples of superstar Billy Graham. Obviously, if you look even further past them, you can look at Scott Steiner being a disciple of superstar Billy Graham. But just to think of the impact that superstar had on the guys of the future, the big names of the future, and boy, did he ever the body guy, the muscle guy, if you will, but also the great promo guy. And Hogan, obviously, 10 out of 10 promo, if you will. Uh, Ventura, same thing, just, you know, amazing promo guys. And they get that from Superstar. And that's kind of the, the background is from Superstar Billy Graham. So with Superstar, you got to think, okay, he kind of set it off and kind of paved the way for a guy like Hogan, for a guy like Jesse and that kind of superstar to be over. And that's kind of the, the dawning of a new age in the 80s. And it kind of, obviously, Hogan kind of took the ball and ran even further with it and became the biggest wrestling star of all time and made himself mainstream. And he, it, the rest is history there as far as that. But Jesse the Body Ventura did make a pretty damn big name for himself as well. And not necessarily from being a wrestler, from being a commentator, from doing his thing in Hollywood just really kind of and obviously later on in politics and become the governor and and him having his own kind of tv shows and, and his conspiracy theory stuff and all that kind of stuff made him into a big star but it's funny to think like well you would think he would have a, a longer wrestling career or or a longer wwf run as far as in-ring career was concerned but he really didn't it was really a, a moment in time if you will it was only a short period of time as far as his wwf wrestling career wasn't that long if you look at it, it's really about five years in rings or so really and then you know he kind of had a match here or there later on and you gotta think it's like man i wonder what would happen if him and hogan had that long-term feud because he was kind of that guy who's almost like piper where he's gonna be that shit talker but he's way bigger than piper obviously he's that body guy he's the same size as hogan he's doing the pose downs like hogan he's being muscular and you know, all that stuff where you say okay he matches hulk physically and then verbally, maybe he's got a one-up on Hogan, or maybe you know he's equal to Hogan there too. So it was such an interesting kind of feud or interesting dynamic that you got these two big muscle guys, but Ventura also threw in the shit talking and you know it had that kind of cool heel vibe to him. If you go back and you watch some shows in the Northeast in the in the early and really Hogan era of of but really more specifically, I guess you could say from let's say 84, 85, 86. Ventura got cheered a lot. I mean, in, in some of those territories, in those quote unquote heel towns, Boston, Philly, a bit. I mean, you could hear the Jesse chant. So he was over and very interested to kind of see how the reaction would have been with Hogan and Ventura having a long term feud. Would Ventura have gotten kind of gotten over too? As like that cool heel that they wanted to cheer. I know it's one of those things, don't quite know, but that would have been definitely very interesting to see. I wonder how they would have done financially. I'm going to guess big money, big bucks would have been huge because him and piper made big money and obviously hogan and orndorff made big money and so on and so forth so you get a star just as big as those guys in jesse the body and i think hogan and him maybe could have possibly made even more money because people would have been very very interested in that feud i don't know how the matches would have been because you know we've seen the matches before whether it be awa or the limited matches that they had in the WWF and they were, you know, they were okay, but you know, nothing too great. But I wonder if they were given the ability and, and given more time and given a longer feud, 
maybe they could have developed even better chemistry and maybe they could have had better matches. But I don't know if you're getting better than Hogan Orndor for Hogan Piper, but the star power is there and Jesse was a legend. Obviously, everyone knows Jesse by his look, the way he dressed, the way he talked, the way he carried himself. Everything just screams star icon like who is this guy you know if you walk into a room and you see jesse the body in the tour standing you're like i don't know who that guy is but he's somebody you know he had that appeal to him he had that charisma he had that look he was a god you know what i mean in, in a certain aspect where you're just thinking to yourself like wow this guy is a huge star he is someone when somebody has that look or that charisma that appeal I mean, it's 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 few and far between, really. I mean, it's hard to come by, but Jesse definitely had it. Obviously, Hogan had it in spade, but Jesse definitely had it as well. So if you think about Jesse, and I know he was going to have a, a bit of an issue from flying too much, and he would develop a pulmonary embolism, and he almost died, and he had a lot, a lot of issues as far as some health, which kind of precluded the big Hogan feud. Like he was supposed to have this big, long Hogan feud. He was actually supposed to go to three of the biggest places around the world, really, and have these big matches with Hogan. We talked about this before with Hogan, you know, maybe the first match you have somewhere and it's a DQ or counter or something. Then you have the return match, which probably is going to be even bigger sellout because people are interested in that heel getting his comeuppance or Hogan finally getting the win over that heel. But it's also, okay, maybe you have a schmoz or something for the second match and you build up to the third match and you have another kind of blow off and you really sell the house out and you really get everybody interested and everybody buying tickets and you've seen how this program works and then maybe you take it to TV or pay-per-view or whatever. But here, Jesse was supposed to have this big-time feud with Hulk Hogan. This pulmonary embolism happens, this big-time injury. Jesse almost dies. He thinks he's going to die. The doctors don't give him the greatest prognosis. Um, he ends up obviously surviving and thriving, but he was saying that possibly from flying too much within the 30 day period, he's flying 28 out of 30 days. So there's something obviously with the cabin pressure and everything else, it's some people are susceptible to it. So he was saying that, you know, that was probably the issue there. Didn't really end his career so much as far as in ring. He still wrestled a little bit after that. But it ended the big time career because he didn't get the Hogan feud. He didn't really get the big time feud. He didn't get, really get the big payoffs. But being a commentator, he's getting paid just as much and not having to take any bumps. And like he always used to say, he didn't really like taking too many bumps. And then that was just like, wait a second. I can get paid more from being a commentator and become more famous being a commentator than actually taking a bump and doing the doing the matches and, and you know traveling the hard roads and working all the house shows. Sign me up. So it's an interesting thing with him is that okay he's not going to wrestle anymore oh man that stinks but he's going to become one of the greatest heel commentators of all time really the first heel commentator ever i don't really remember one before him and i think he even has on record as saying he's the first ever heel commentator and vince mcmahon said he had the idea he wanted him to be this heel wanted him to be something different and it definitely was awesome and obviously set the the the, uh, the, the the pace, if you will, or set it up for guys later on to become the heel commentator. And that's kind of Norman, uh, normal, excuse me, today that they have a, a heel commentator in there. And Jesse set it off and he did such a great job. I mean, oh my God, he's so memorable in calling all the big matches and hating Hogan, quote unquote, the character and hating all the baby faces and cheering Rick Rude and Andre and all these guys. It was so cool. It was so different and it was so great. It made you enjoy the face much more, made you hate the heel that much more. And it made you hate Jesse because he was doing such a good job of pumping up the heel and really, really saying, you got to root for the guy. 
and and it's not the guy you want to be rooting for. So it was such a great job and such an awesome idea by Vince and Jesse. Just man, did he knock it out of the park? Going back though to the big Hogan feud that never was, he was obviously replaced by Big John Stud. Still sold out, still did very well, and was a big time prominent feud. But it's just like one of those things again. What if Ventura was healthy? What if Ventura was going to do this feud? What if Jesse and Hogan? maybe headline WrestleMania or something, you know, it's a big time pay-per-view and they really set it off. Who knows about the course of everybody else, the Pipers, the Andres, the Savages, who knows? I mean, those suits probably would have happened and could have happened and should have happened, but who knows with Ventura in the mix where he would have landed. It's one of those things you just never, never know. So here Jesse becomes this great commentator, but there's also this underlying issue of, okay, Jesse's going to be this great commentator but Hogan and him still have some issues. They're still bitter rivals because Hogan is a huge star, but Jesse thinks he's just as big of a star. And he's kind of thinking, okay, I'm making everybody look good on the commentary role. Yeah. Hogan's the in ring guy, or he's doing the stuff saying the cash cow, but I'm really kind of making so much money for the company. Just being this heel commentator that everybody's kind of gravitating to everybody's listening to. And I'm getting the guys over, I'm getting them over on TV. I'm doing my job. And there's this kind of underlying thing behind the scenes where him and Hogan obviously have a big time rift. And Jesse says it's due to the fact that he wanted to unionize the wrestlers. And that was a big thing at the time that obviously Vince McMahon was against. And he's still against it to this day. Obviously, he doesn't want the guys to unionize. And Hogan, supposedly, is the guy that ratted out Jesse as he was trying to get the wrestlers together to Vince. And that was kind of the end of the relationship with uh, Vince and, and Jesse kind of behind the scenes. But really... Jesse worked there for quite a while after this. So, I mean, there was an issue there for sure. And and Hogan supposedly kind of cut the union thing off by the legs there and told Vince and, and really squashed it. But he still worked there for a few years after that, obviously many years after that. And, and, and I guess you could say there were some issues and some problems there. But I really thought more of the problems from Jesse and Vince was because Jesse sued Vince because he was using his likeness and using his voice and using his announcing, but wasn't getting compensated for, wasn't getting paid for it. So I always thought that was kind of the underlining issue. And obviously they made up a few times since then. And we've seen Jesse at SummerSlam 99 and a few different things on raw and doing some commentary uh, back. I believe it was in 2011 with, with Vince. So one of those things where it's not really a huge issue and they could kind of make up at any point and really you know, money cures all, I guess, really. And, and business is business for Vince and business is business for Jesse. There's no heat there, but he just, uh, Ventura couldn't get over with Hogan. He wanted to unionize and Hogan killed it. He called Hogan a rad and all this other stuff. And they definitely just had this huge issue. And if you listen to Eric Bischoff, who said, you know, when he brought in Jesse to WCW, he was a commentator down there. As soon as he brought in Hogan, Ventura was disinterested, didn't want to call Hogan matches, didn't want to do it. He just hated Hogan that much. So there was something there and there was some bitter rivalry there. Bischoff was kind of saying that he thinks that maybe Jesse was a little jealous that Hogan became who he became and, and Ventura was just the announcer. But man, Ventura was, was a pretty damn big star. Obviously, nobody's reaching that Hogan level. It's pretty damn impossible. I don't even think Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, reached that Hogan level. You could say the rock has, but it's really more of Hollywood than pro wrestling reach, reaching that level or reaching that heights. Ventura was still was a huge Hollywood star. He was still obviously the governor. He still made it just a gigantic name for himself in the wrestling business. Everybody knows who Jesse, the body Ventura is, but in wrestling, I don't think he 
reached the heights of the Hulkster. I don't think he was on that level of Hogan. And it's one of those things where I guess, you know, different opinions from different guys, and maybe that's the issue, but Ventura always says he never forgave Hogan for the union thing and that Hogan became different and Hogan wasn't one of the boys and all this other stuff. So, I mean, there was definitely an issue behind the scenes between Hulkster and Jesse, no doubt about that. So as far as Jesse, the body, and his time in WWF, he really starts in 1981, February 25th, 1981, in Altoona, PA. Ivan Putski defeats Jesse by DQ. Pretty long match here, and that is his WWF debut. He does go along, and obviously he'll have some title matches with Bob Backlund for the WWF world title. He'll lose by countout. He'll win by countout. He'll win by DQ. It'll be a double countout. I mean, he, he's being thought of as a big star, which he is. I mean, obviously, there's no doubt about it, a big star. But with that, it's like he, he's not going to win the title, but he is going to have some big-time matches, and he's going to win by count on DQ, setting up some rematches with Backlund, and he they're going to have some big, big-time matches. If you look at it, him and Pedro Morales had some matches. Him and Backlund had a lot of matches, but the most important match would obviously be MSG. So you go to 3-14-1982, Backlund defeats Jesse the Bati Ventura about 10 minutes at MSG on the MSG network, and that was kind of the big blow-off. After those double countouts, after those countouts, that was kind of the, the big build-up and the big title match for Ventura. Ventura would have a couple matches for the IC title against Pedro Morales as well as we kind of move along. This is obviously pre-Hogan Erickson I'm talking about 82 here, but he would have a nice little run. He wouldn't lose too much. Really, the only guys you would see him lose to would be a Pedro Morales, uh, maybe Pat Patterson uh, once or twice, but like Tony Atlas was a big feud for him, and you'd see Tony get some wins. But really, Backlund and Morales were kind of the only guys really being able to beat Jesse. Obviously, Jesse would have a big-time feud with Ivan Putski as well, but Ventura ends up getting a big win. The biggest win, maybe, would be a 9-1 1984 on the Prism Network from the Philly Spectrum in Philly, PA, as Ventura beats the Polish power there. So before we kind of get into the the Hogan matches and really the, the feud that they had, because they did have several matches, I want to talk first about AWA. The first real match that they had in the AWA would be 9-13-1981 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hulk Hogan and the High Flyers, Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel, defeated Jerry Blackwell and, of course, the East-West Connection, Adrian Adonis and Jesse Ventura. I'm sorry, that actually, that match goes to a no contest. So their first foray was a six-man that goes into a no contest. But throughout 1981, they'd have several matches together and it would all be in the a and wa all over canada and the northern part of the united states but then they'd also travel to denver colorado and oakland california so i mean milwaukee wisconsin they're all over the place kind of having feuds but these are all really handicap matches and tag matches like there's three on two handicap matches with andre and hulk defeating jerry blackwell andre uh, excuse me, Adrian Adonis and Jesse Ventura. There's a couple of those. I mean, it's just interesting stuff, really. But the first one-on-one match that they have is on Christmas Day, 1982, 12, 25, 82. 
my first Christmas actually there, if you think about it. Uh, Hogan and Ventura go to a double DQ in St. Paul, Minnesota. The next night in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, they go to a double countout. And on 112.83, Hogan gets his first win against Ashley's body, and that's in Las Vegas, Nevada. They've had several other matches as you go all the way through 1983. And the last match that they had in the AWA for Milwaukee, Wisconsin, it was a tag team cage match as Hulk Hogan and Mad Dog Vashon defeat Jesse Body Ventura and Ken Patera. So interesting stuff there as we kind of went through the AWA. Obviously, that's pre-Hogan era. And when you get into the Hogan era, you start seeing them wrestle in 1984. Really, three matches in a row in 84, three days in a row. This is kind of test, if you will, or, or you know, kind of making sure Hogan sells out some markets and really get the hot hand of Hogan and get him against all these different opponents. I mention this each and every week. It's funny to notice it, but and really look at it. It's like, okay, Hogan is feuding with eight guys at one time, and they're all wrestling all over the house shows. In 84, he's starting his feud with Piper, but he's also feuding with Dr. D. David Schultz. He's also got something going on with Jesse, the body. It's so interesting and so cool to see, like, wow, what a cash cow and what a home run he was and what a golden goose Hogan was. So they start in 1984 with three matches. The Cobo Arena in Detroit, Michigan, JFK Coliseum in Manchester, New Hampshire, and then finally at the Civic Center in Baltimore, Maryland. This is 9-8, 9-9, and 9-10, 1984. Hogan would defeat Ventura each and every one of those shows, and that was kind of the, the start or whatever, the three dances, if you will, the three matches that are going to start the feud. And let's say, okay, let's see how this feud does. Let's see if these guys can make some money. And boy, they had some sellouts. And boy, that Jesse Ventura was popular as a heel as they sold out those three shows, like I mentioned, in Detroit. New Hampshire, and in Baltimore, Maryland. Obviously, Detroit and Baltimore, two big-time markets for the WWF. New Hampshire, not as much, but still, the Northeast was very, very popular for the WWF. It's interesting to kind of see who else Hogan was shooting with and what else he's doing at the time. Like I mentioned with the Pipers and the Orders and and the Dr. D. David Schultz, it's like, wow, okay. Man, he can pretty much draw in, in every town and everywhere you're going with all these different guys. But who's going to draw the best? Who's going to be the guy that's going to draw the most interest? And that's kind of where Vince and Pat Patterson and, and Sandy Scott, if you will, uh, these are the guys that are going to be making decisions based on these house show returns, based on seeing how these guys are doing and really who's bringing in that money, who's drawing that interest. So they would do have several other matches in 1985, but it's interesting to note that like I mentioned before, they were supposed to have even longer matches, even bigger feuds, and kind of take it even further. And the Big John Stud kind of ends up taking Ventura's place because of Ventura's injury. But I do want to mention the other matches that they had. So starting on 3-1-1985, Hulk Hogan defeats Jesse Ventura in the Veterans Memorial Arena in Phoenix, Arizona. Then 3-8-85, a week later, you go all the way to Nassau, Nassau Coliseum in Long Island. Hulk Hogan defeats Jesse at the Body Ventura. Then they have a house show at the Met Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Jesse defeats Hogan via countout. Of course, these are all WBF World Heavyweight title matches because Hulkster is the world champion at this time. Hogan then has the return match one month later in April, April 20th, 1985, at the Met Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Hogan defeats him via countout here. Then at the Civic Center in Providence, Rhode Island on 9-13-1985, Jesse Ventura would defeat Hogan via countout. Then they'll have another match in Nassau Coliseum. Hogan will defeat Ventura again on 11-1-1985. Then they'll have a match in Pittsburgh at the 
Civic Arena there in Pittsburgh, PA, 11-8-1985, with special guest referee Bobby Heenan, of all people. Hogan would defeat Ventura by a count-out there. They'll have a rematch, and Hogan, again, in Pittsburgh, will defeat Ventura by a count-out. They'll go the next day to the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland. Hogan will defeat Ventura there. Then really a big-time tag match, which so cool if you look at it. It's like, holy crap. So 12-5-1985, Hulk Hogan and Tito Santana defeated Jesse the Body Ventura and Macho Man Randy Savage. And that's all Coliseum in Long Island. Wow, that's one of those things where I wish there was some handheld or something to get some footage of that. I mean, that is, that's got to be great. And then one final blow-off match in Pittsburgh, PA, 12-6-1985. Hogan defeats Jesse the Body Ventura in about 12 minutes. And your special guest referee there, again, is Bobby the Brain Heenan. And that's really the last one-on-one match they had before the Big John stud fill-in, as you would have stud kind of come back and feud with Hogan yet again, or really kind of maybe continue the feud with Hogan, but this time in different markets where Jesse was supposed to be working with him. The last match that they were involved with together, 829-1988, SummerSlam 1988, the Mega Powers meet the Mega Bucks, Madison Square Garden, New York City, New York, Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage, a.k.a. the Mega Powers, defeated the Mega Bucks, Andre the Giant, and Ted DiBiase. Match goes 14 minutes, and of course, Jesse is involved because guess what? He is the special guest referee in that match. And making that match as big as you possibly could, obviously, you got Hogan on one side, Andre on the other, with DiBiase and Savage made stars right then and there. And Jesse, the body of Ventura in the middle, can't get much bigger than that. And that's really the last time that they were in the ring together. And it's just interesting kind of to note that really when Ventura comes back from his injury and returns to the ring in 1985, he starts a program with Tito and he has a long feud with Tito Santana that goes through pretty much March of 86. So they feud for about three months and his last match was against Tito Santana, 3-22-86, a house show at the Mecarina Mecca, excuse me, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Tito defeated Jesse there. And that was when Jesse kind of decided, I don't want to really take bumps anymore. I'm making so much as a commentator. I'm doing so good as a commentator. I'll just keep that going and, you know, forget about the Hogan feud. I'm going to just, I'm going to become a star as a commentator and make just as much money and not have to get injured and not take any bumps. Pretty smart. His last ever match, however, in the WWF, Jesse Ventura and Rowdy Roddy Piper defeated the Orange Express, Sato and Tanaka. From the LA Sports Arena in Los Angeles, California, that was on 325, 1990. Very, very special house show out there in LA where Jesse kind of wanted to have his goodbye match and a nice little 11,000 person uh, seating there. The attendance was 11,000 for that one. And obviously, Jesse and Piper opened the show with that match in a pretty damn interesting card with the main event of Warrior defeating Mr. Perfect retaining his intercontinental championship and Hulk Hogan was not on this card. So you got to make it special. So why not have the return of Jesse Ventura and team him with Rowdy Roddy Piper. So pretty damn interesting run there for the body. Again, it's just uh, thinking of it's like, okay, what really could have been with the Hulkster and Jesse could have been a longer feud. Maybe, you know, could have been great. Could have been better. You never really know. I mean, they they had several matches. They sold out, but they obviously could have had more matches and more sellouts and maybe even some pay-per-views because that match is big. You put those guys on the poster. You put those guys 
you know out there as your your main event and on, on your billboards and stuff and boy it would it sell very very well but jesse ventura was a great commentator was very very comfortable in that role and there's no doubt about it he was excellent at it again one of those feuds that with Hogan, with Hogan, they did have a brief feud in '84 and '85, and they had those matches, and they did a bunch of sellouts. But what could have been could have been even more, even more grand, even bigger on a big scale, like on a WrestleMania or a big time pay per view. But let's head towards the plug. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website tmptempire.com, and of course Patreon, Patreon.com/slash tmptempire. And keep your eyes and ears out for the Hulk Hogan interview. I had a few minutes to chat with the Hulkster. We talked about King Kong Bundy. We talked about his five greatest feuds. Talk about Roman Reigns. Talk about Brock Lesnar, and we talk about the legacy of Hulk Hogan and what he thinks it is. So keep your eyes and ears out for that one. Thank you everybody for listening. We'll see you right back here next week for the Hogan era podcast. I'll see you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz power trip production in conjunction with the two man power trip of wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. Jesse the Body Ventura with the current, and I use the term loosely, heavyweight champion of the world. You know, Hulk Hogan, a lot of people throughout the world think that Paul Orndorff is truly the real American. Yeah, I bet you think you've got a full head of hair and a big pair of arms, dude, but standing next to me, you look like a weeping willow tree, little man. All I got to say about Paul Orndorff, brother, is you're not a real American like you say you are. And I'm not afraid of any small chains artists like you. Because to get to the top, man, you gotta be big time. You gotta dedicate your life to training, saying your prayers, eating your vitamins, something you don't know nothing about, man. And you also gotta dedicate your life to those people, brother. Because you gotta have something behind you more than just a mere mortal man. Paul Ornoff, you're gonna be judge, brother. No electric chair, no gas chamber. Judge, jury, executioner. Hulkamania, ultimate sentence. Mm. Oh, Jesse was a hoot. He came on very big and it took us a little while to calm him down and get him closer to real. Jesse was a Navy SEAL. He didn't need the training. He cakewalked through the training because he's such a tough guy, you know. I'll put it this way. I wouldn't want to go in real with these guys, but I'll definitely do a film with them. No one's going to have to teach me how to patrol through a jungle. Nobody's going to have to teach me how to take a sentry out. And nobody's going to have to teach me how to fire the most awesome weapon handheld the world has ever seen. The biggest thrill for me was when we hit wardrobe. And I happened to view Arnold's wardrobe tape. And when my arms taped out one inch bigger than Mr. Olympia's, that made Jesse Ventura feel pretty good. Well, I'm very happy about that because then my joke worked. Because I told the wardrobe department they should tell him that. So I can bet him a bottle of champagne afterwards when he comes to the gym. He came to the gym 
two days later and he says, you know something, Arnold? We should measure our arms with bigger arms. I said, of course, we should. I said, let's put a bottle of champagne. He says, of course, we should. And then we measured it in the arm with three inches bigger than his. What the fuck? on your sore-ass plane. <laughs> I was in 72, north of way. And Dutch, both got one. Just dug in like an Alabama tick. You're hit. You're bleeding, man. I ain't got time to bleed. Huh. Okay. You got time to duck? 